Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992. Here from our perch in 2023, I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Scove. I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your regular host, Joe Pesci's concussion. <laughs> a heavily, no, actually, better joke. Sitting in for your regular guest host, a heavily concussed Joe Pesci. There we go. There you go. Got it. There you go. Uh, with us today, Caroline Framke. Writer about town, as she has to be <laughs> described. Um, you, this mm-hmm. is shockingly only your second episode with us. The first time yes. you came on, we talked Hey Arnold. We did. Um, also, a, a little bit of a stinker. Seems like there's a theme. I mean, a little bit uh, of a Arnold, stinker. Oh, Arnold is a little bit of a stinker. Well, Arnold, Arnold is a and good boy. Certainly Kevin McAllister. <laughs> Helga's more of a stinker than Arnold. Let's. That's let's... true. And that episode, by the way, that we talked about uh, was amazing. Emily, I'm, are you a Hey Arnold? Were you a Hey Arnold fan? I've never seen a single episode of Hey oh, Arnold. Oh, see, the thing is, you would love it. Oh, you unfortunately, would. I probably it. would. I like the thing is, uh, you know, everything at that time was of Satan. So, uh, <laughs> right, right, right. I'm just, I think I'm just a little bit too old for Hey Arnold. I was a Doug probably, girl. Yeah. I love Doug. Oh, I watched sure. that. I did also okay. love Doug, but I feel like you would understand um, Helga Pataki on the same cellular level that I did, yeah. and that would be very exciting for me yeah. to discuss with you. So, Not to mention uh, the episode that we talked about, Emily, was uh, an episode about mental health, which was about Helga going to a therapist okay. called Helga Therapy. on the Couch, cool. which is tremendous. That's great. Uh, it's a great episode of television. That's great. Uh, we my love middle... TV episodes about therapy. I love Doug <laughs> so much that my middle name is Patty Mayonnaise, so... Uh... <laughs> Good. Here's the Excellent. thing. We Mine's talked Doug. We talked Doug in our 99 podcast as well, because Doug the movie came out in 99. But Doug the movie 
kind of boring and not great. I, mean, uh, I, don't I know feel like Doug about. was good on Nickelodeon. Yeah, once I went to Disney, it was a totally yeah, okay. different, Fair less enough. good Fair story. Enough. Even though Patty Mayonnaise had an excellent queer haircut. Yeah, Patty <laughs> that Mayonnaise. Was, that was the one good difference. Yeah. Who? Okay, so who out of the Nicktoons is gay? Let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> this is the uh, this is our episode about which Nicktoons are gay. Ren and Stimpy, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are they? They're in love with each other. Like, mm-hmm. that is They're, a deeply um, yes. toxic, deeply codependent, yes. deeply abusive relationship between two Absolutely. men who once loved each other, but now have become tired of the very image of each other. What's the name of the extremely um, gay squirrel in SpongeBob? <laughs> the little, like, astronaut squirrel? Or yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I don't, I don't remember. I've seen two, I've seen two little SpongeBob. All right. Who Wait, is, is there a Rugrat that's also uh, potentially gay? Oh, I mean, uh, uh, Sandy, well, Squirrel. Sandy Squirrel. Sandy Squirrel. Sandy Squirrel. Bill and Lil's mom. Yeah. Okay. Definitely okay. queer. Uh-huh. Angelica has big, like, Dom vibes. Ooh, like, she, she could. She's it's a weird there. thing to say about a, a, a baby. Def- well, listen, they did Rugrats <laughs> all grown up. They did do that. So that's on them. Yeah. This is not on us anymore. This has been our episode on Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Um, So, Emily, this is our first overt Christmas episode. Yay. Um, You are the angel of Christmas. I am. Um, And and we do have, I mean, we're we're doing Home Alone 2. We're doing Batman Returns. We're doing uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. Those are our our three trifecta of Christmas movies. is this, I mean, this is obviously an overtly Christmas movie, sure. but I kind of feel like it's really just borrowing from the first Home Alone. What? So I guess my question to you is... What? Do you think this movie's <laughs> like the first Home Alone? Yeah, no, I know. It's shocking. But but where does Home Alone, and I guess Home Alone 2, rank in your sort of Christmas, is, is it a Christmas favorite for you? Uh, I, Home Alone, when I was yes. uh, 9, 10... I saw that movie in theaters and then I saw it on VHS a couple times. I never owned the VHS. Mm. It was my favorite movie of all time. Like sure, I was the sure. exact right age. And at the time people thought I looked a lot like Macaulay Culkin, a because I oh. did and B because they had mistaken me for a young man, Macaulay Culkin. Oh. Uh, and uh, so I was like very all in on Macaulay Culkin because okay. I was like, you know, I don't want to perform masculinity, but perhaps I can perform child actor who's being taken advantage of by his parents. Like that was a thing sure. I could I could do. Sure. Snarky I, young man. Yeah. I so I loved Home Alone. And then uh Home Alone 2, I was like hype. I was like, sure. uh, I like whatever development stuff I could read in like the Mitchell Daily Republic, which was not a lot. They didn't put a lot in there. I I'm just shocked. was like, I was just like, oh yeah, they're bringing everybody back. The whole crew coming back, mm. got Pesci and Stern, got Culkin. He got a big payday. I remember that oh, being yeah. like, I remember that being like a thing. Uh, and then I was in marching band uh, because I li- grew up in such a small town that they had to have like, like I was like a sixth grader when Home Alone 2 came out. So I was in the marching band as a sixth grader and we went on a trip to uh, a town called Huron and I went to like the bookstore in that mall and it was I think like October and they had the novelization of Home Alone 2 Lost in New York by Todd Strasser for sale and I purchased it 
with my hard-earned money. And I read it on the bus home. And Becky Kaufman, who I had a crush on, who sat right in front of me, she went back up over the seat and she was like, how was it? I was like, it's going to be better than the first one. (laughs) And then I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it like two years later. And I was like, this sucks. Wow. That's that took a turn. I didn't this expect that. Turns. I, do you still so, think it sucks? Uh yeah, I do. Um I, <laughs> Oh, well, we're gonna have fights then. This I, is gonna be great. I think this movie is uh a kind of a misses everything that makes the first one work. And I'm not one of those people who watches Home Alone, the first one, over and over. Like I've seen it a couple times over the years. I think it's a sure. perfectly fine movie. It's not one of my Christmas classics, but I do enjoy mm. it. I think it's well constructed. I think it does a lot of things right. This movie, even when I saw it at like 13 or whatever age I was when I finally saw it, I wanted to shoot Kevin McAllister in the fucking face. Damn. So, Shit. yeah. So, Caroline. <laughs> um, on that note. From that note, what is your history with Home Alone and Home Alone 2? Well, I was thinking about this and I, I texted my parents to be like, did I see this in theaters? Because I was younger. Yes. I was like think like almost five when this came out so younger but like you know probably a little too young young. to see it but i don't know i was talking to my roommate she saw it when she was three so parents were taking (laughs) their kids she she was like that was the first movie i can remember where like i laughed so hard i couldn't breathe and i was like you were three i don't know how she remembers this thing which is it's very cute but i asked them they couldn't remember i was trying desperately to think of when i first saw it and i realized it's just kind of like for me Home Alone is, as Kieran Culkin says in the final scene about Santa Claus, omnipresent. It's always been around for mm-hmm. me. I feel like it's how some people, um, Emily, feel about It's a Wonderful Life, not in terms of like quality, but just like it has always been a staple or like has something to feel about Elf or about the Christmas Carol or something. Home Alone is, it's just like every year it's on, I will... It's one of my few movies where, like, I feel like if it's on TV, I'm never going to change the channel. It's like this, Back to the Future, and My Cousin Vinny, which I wanted to cover on this podcast, but I knew it would be very popular. So I picked this one um, to talk about what I thought would be a lovely shared experience in enjoying this film with the Angel of Christmas, who I now have found out is going to betray me. Uh, Actually, the Devil of Christmas. Is the Devil. I'm the Devil of Christmas. <laughs> You're Krampus hear- this episode. Here's a fun story that just happened in my house. It's got three acts. <laughs> Act one, I don't know. I can't find my water bottle. I'm looking around. Act two, I text Libby and I'm like, is my water bottle out there? Act three, she comes in, opens the door, looks around, points at it. It's right by my feet. That's a great story. It's That's a great, a great story. story about home That's marriage too. right yeah. there. That feels like it really kind of sums up the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. I am, I believe, older than both of you. So I... Boo. I'm yeah, seriously boo indeed um if I could make it different I would I saw Home Alone the first one in theaters I think I was about 10 um I have a, a recollection of seeing it with a group of friends um it was never really my movie mm-hmm. I don't know why and it's not even the Christmas thing I mean spoiler I'm Jewish but I love Christmas <laughs> movies so like whatever but it just ultimately I'm not a slapstick guy so, so much of this franchise is about kicking the shit out of adults and having them fall and hurt themselves and what happened. Yeah, it is. So, it, it, <laughs> so, so it, it was a thing that as a kid never really worked for me. 
But subsequently, I've really come around on the first Home Alone, which I think is a really, as you said, Emily, like it's it's clean and it's like the premise is just so easy to understand. The premise kid is gets- airtight. Oh, like, right? The I was not a slapstick kid either, but the appeal for me was you could you, you're home alone yeah. like you got the and place you can yeah. you can defend it and your parents yep. aren't there to terrorize you so you're great and you could yeah. just it's, like set up death traps it's fun. it's a very clean premise i'm gonna yeah. be clear right now and just say i'm not gonna be here arguing that this one's better than the first <laughs> i think the first okay. one is better like yes. objectively I, better i have and i don't mean yeah. to make this about the first home alone we will obviously no, I mean, talk it, about the second one but it's, it's important to sort of if you're talking about this one you're talking about the first one because there there right. it, there is some overlap i would say <laughs> some <laughs> there is a little similar. a little <laughs> bit of overlap between the films the thing that ultimately as i was rewatching this film the other day that really hit me is as we just said how clean the first one is and how sweaty oh. the second one is oh the like sweat the to get him to new york <laughs> the wow. gymnastics they go through to not just get him to new york but to get him a hotel room. Oh, yeah. But to get him a, an, an abandoned house with which to then torture these. Like, you're just, it's its so, it's just twisting itself in pretzels to get there. I have some problems with this movie, but number one, I have one major plausibility concern. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only one in this movie. Just the one? Okay, great. Just let's hear it. If my, so I have, I'm a mother now. I have mm-hmm. a beautiful baby. Yes. And if I, at some point in time, left my child home alone over the Christmas holiday, I would simply not allow my child to become lost in New York. I would be very <laughs> careful. I would have them on a leash. I agree. They would be I following agree. me around everywhere from then on. Yeah. They'd be like well, 15 I, and they'd be like, mom, please, please cut me loose. And I'd be like, no, you're never becoming lost thing, in New York. At the end of this film, spoiler, they're all around the Christmas tree. Everyone's getting the presents and Kevin sneaks away. And I'm just like, how the fuck is this kid not like got a, some sort of low jack on him at this I point. mean, I think it's, you know, I think there's something to the idea of like, it's this big family. There's all mm. these kids. There's so much mm-hmm. commotion. He is the youngest, almost yeah. littlest because Kieran is technically younger, but he's playing his cousin. So he's like the youngest one who's like never, you know, noticed unless he's making mischief. Um, and I was rewatching home alone too and i was at first like why are the parents sitting in first when all the kids are in coach i'm like because they have a million children and they just want two hours where they don't have to do anything with these kids and i think on some level they're just like you know it's just the kids become a unit so Mm -hmm. for me what it's it's such a sweaty movie everything about it i am impressed every time i watch it at how they get into new york because i think it's actually it actually totally makes sense yeah. to me how this happens it's very you could tell that they went through a million drafts to get that airport scene to make any sense of course this is a pre-9-11 movie in about every sense of the word from the way he gets on this plane without like showing anyone an actual ticket to him being on top of the twin towers to see the entire city it's very stark but you know you have every little bit of it makes sense they're rushing they're late he has his dad's stuff the guy in a camel jack trench coat because everyone wore that that jacket <laughs> like and yep, everyone looks like his dad that, that actor looks like everyone um yeah you know running into the airline the the flight attendant the i just i am very impressed with the staging of that i will concede that after that it gets a little messier 
two oh, yeah, I would, sure. two of yes, us on this podcast are women and all three of us do look like john hurd like that's just one of those <laughs> things that's true you know it's a it's a it's a skill and you know it's it's, it's true it's very I, important i agree with you caroline and i i truly feel as though the moment that the movie sort of gives up the ghost in terms of believability is truly the moment when the the woman the not even flight attendant the person who works at the airline yes walks into the plane with kevin yes kevin points the back of a person and says that's my dad she's like great fine have a good christmas and then just leaves and says go find your sit like truly if just a monochrome of time was spent there the whole thing falls apart but like they have to kind of breezy yada yada and then he has to sit next to a person who doesn't speak english and he has to put his headphones on so he doesn't hear that they're going to new york it's just like it's it's absurd it's just like and it's also you know it's 92 i remember the first one you know they when they call the cops to do the wellness check the cops are kind of like ah your kid's alone fine we'll go but they're not that concerned about it and like even in this movie, it's played for laughs. I think a very funny, funny scene with Catherine and John Hurt, where like, you know, the cops like has this happened before, and they're like, ah, well, <laughs> funny you should say that, but like we never forget our luggage." Knock knock. Like it's a funny moment. Mm. If this movie happened now, they'd be like oh thrown God. in jail. Like, in they jail. would be. In like, jail. It just would not work. So I feel like it's at a very specific time, and sure. it's just like. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm always impressed with how they get to New York, but it is insane that like their premise was like, all right, so he can't do the house thing again. Let's get him lost in the busiest, most like yeah. dense city we've got. <laughs> like, is I, I you know how like Jack weeds on the internet are like remember like trying to recapture their childhood, and they're like, yeah, we yeah. could like sure. ride bikes. Kids. We could watch we could play video games and all this shit Mm -hmm. and it's like it's it's a thing that happens every time a generation turns 40 they're like Mm -hmm. when we were kids we had true freedom and so like that you know my fucking kid who's one year old in 39 years is going to be like when i was a kid i could run around wherever i wanted and that won't be true like we watched the baby all the time but like home alone 2 does to me feel like it comes from an era when children could just like roam around unsupervised absolutely and And also like yeah oh sorry um i mean not for nothing i think putting it in new york Mm. makes it so that you know because like for half the movie you're going how is no one like you know, people ask, like, are you alone, whatever, but then they kind of just accept it because in New York, yeah. that would be more, that would be more reasonable, like, yeah. to that a kid would be kind of like, you know, a parent is somewhere else and the kid's just kind of doing his own thing or like walking sure. across the street to the toy store or whatever. And I do think that part of why I grew up loving this movie or still like it more than both of you is the New York of it. You know, not for enough. I'm, yeah. beaming in here from new york city i was going to apologize for any noise that happens but i'm lost in new york baby so that'll be part of the vibe it is a love letter to new york i mean it's a it, love it, letter it, to new york yeah. new york christmas and i was thinking about it and i was like you know i can't speak to this because again i was too young to go to the theater at this time but yeah. i do feel like there's something interesting about it being this love letter to a very family-friendly new york um <laughs> in 1992 in it was not right yeah. <laughs> um and, you know, making it like this lovely Christmas vibe. And I grew up in Jersey and New York was right there, but far enough away that I could not access it myself. But it was like, you know, the dream is you go to the city. This was my fucking dream to like be lost in New York. 
like so for me I feel like there was a sort of like I I wouldn't have been as excited to be like home alone as I would be to be like at the plaza with my ice cream cart running around like that would have that was the dream so I feel like there's that element of like um you know my kid fantasy was more aligned with this movie so I feel like that that makes sense lined up for me do you think the like Canadian knockoff of Home Alone Two would be would be uh, Home Alone Two Lost in Montreal, and it's just like, <laughs> about a kid who has to go, and he's like he like meets a scary unhoused Quebecois person, and is I mean, like, like has lots of uh, Montreal bagels. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I, I will say though, you know, to to rewind just for a second to the yeah. parents of it all, the thing that I love about the first one yeah. is. Catherine O'Hara's journey, yes. right? Not just, you know, the wonderful scenes she has with John Candy, but who is sorely missed in this film, was supposed to have a cameo, but then it never happened. Uh, Catherine O'Hara's character, they give her nothing really in this movie. Um, and not only does that feel sort of just lame, but it also removes the portion that you were sort of talking about of the parents feeling fully invested, or at least the mom fully invested in finding the mom, this the dad kid. is like... We have more like where that AWOL, came from. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, I just, it, it was one of those things that in this film, I really felt that vacuum. And yeah. I know that that they filled that sort of, I guess, real estate with Plaza Hotel stuff and, and what have you. But you really do feel kind of that vacancy. And again, like, I don't hate this movie by any means, but I just feel like it's, it, this is a perfect example of, you just shouldn't have made a sequel. Now, I get why you did. Disagree. The first, it made so much money. I understand. I get it. Um, it's just not an easily sequelized premise, which we've learned from Home Alone 3 and Home Alone 4, I believe. And then they did another Home Alone. Home Alone 3. Home Alone 3 kind of slaps. <laughs> the, the ge- of course the, you like Home Alone 3. The genius of Home Alone 3 is that they're like, sure. now it's a new kid. And you're like, okay. Like, once you are like, it's just always going to be a different kid who's home alone and it's different burglars. Uh-huh. Like you can just endlessly iterate on that. And the way that yeah, you yeah, can't, true, like true. you can't have more kids become lost in more cities. I will say this. I think home alone two is fascinating. I would much mm. rather rewatch it a billion times than home alone three. I think home alone three is a better movie though. Interesting. That's interesting. I mean, I, there was talk of a home alone three with Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Um, that John Hughes, I guess started, you know, outlining, which was going to be more, he's a teenager. I don't know what that looks like. That I mean, I, I, there's just in the sense of, so now we've got this, you know, prepubescent teenage version of this character. And I, I mean, I don't know what it looks like, but maybe there's something there. And ultimately Macaulay Culkin had walked away from acting at that point, And John Hughes said, I'm done. But I just think it's interesting um, I'm going to give a little bit of context. After snarky youth Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, loses track of his father at the airport, he mistakenly gets in a plane headed for New York City while the rest of the McAllisters fly to Florida. Now alone in the Big Apple, Kevin cons his way into a room at the Plaza Hotel and begins his usual antics. But when Kevin discovers that the Sticky Bandits, because they're sticky this time, Emily, they're not well, At least one is sticky. sticky. It's true. Uh, played by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are on the loose. He struggles to stop them from robbing an elderly man's toy store just before Christmas. Home Alone 2, uh, Lost New York, opened on November 20th, 1992 against Bram Stoker's Dracula, Malcolm X, Passenger 57, A River Runs Through It, 
Under Siege and the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it would go on to make $359 million Let's on a see. $28 million budget. Uh, that's why you make a sequel. Home Alone 2 has 35% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 62 from audiences. Yes, Emily? No, I, I, I no, nothing. I, I, it did substantially underperform the first one in terms of box office. Well, like, the first one made almost a billion dollars. Yeah, the first one, like, like I remember, like this movie. Everyone was like, "It's going to be the big movie of '92." Yeah. It and Batman Returns, and then both mm-hmm. underperformed in a way that people found concerning. That sort of led everyone back to the the drawing board. That said, they should have done a third movie with Culkin, Pesci, and Stern, and it should have been a dangerous game of cat and mouse, and that would have been great. <laughs> The most home alone, the most dangerous game. It's just like it's just like Pesci's. It's like Pesci's got a sniper rifle on like yep. the Sears Tower, and he's like, "I got you, McAllister." And like Kevin's running around downtown Chicago, and he has to complete various sure. tasks. Right, it's like I'm phone gonna, booth. Let's do, actually just let's like do that book. now. Kevin McAllister in his forties, father of seventeen. By the way, because it's his it's his way. And if you did a Home Alone today with Macaulay Culkin, that movie would rip. Like people would go and see that movie. The problem is that, uh, that Kelvin McAllister at forty um, works for Raytheon, and um, yeah. has like yeah, and he's that like, kid he's... went to MIT and developed arms. Like he is very smart. It's like it's dark. It's interesting. It's like Hook, where you're like this boy who never could grow up now sure. has grown up, and he's depressing and sad, but he's got like a oh, your daughter. Favorite. And he's got like a favorite daughter, and now that daughter has come under the fire of Joe Pesci. Who I think has it a needs to be rifle. said that Emily just said dark and sad, and Caroline what? said your favorite. She lit up. <laughs> I also don't like Hook, but uh, I mean, yeah, I'm actually, that one's that one's one I missed. I, I feel wife, like I mean, my it's wife very interesting. Just opened the door to our office and looked at me and said, "Dark and sad." <laughs> Did I not say? <laughs> she, yes, I am, I am pitching Taken in the Home Alone series. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that would be good. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm kind of surprised in this nostalgia porn world that we live in where everything is rebooted, everything is revived, that someone hasn't gone to Macaulay Culkin and said, like, Let's I'm sure they have. I don't yeah, know that like he's interested. I mean, which yeah, is fair enough. I would like to note also... Um, mm. That speaking of the Home Alone sequels, we have not talked mm. much about like there is a portion of this film that takes place in Chicago um, right. in the beginning. And I would like to discuss the Christmas pageant um, in which um, which is a disaster and it is unfairly pinned on young Kevin. Yeah, because Buzz is a dick. Yeah, Buzz is a dick. I almost called yeah. him this because I always get them confused and I think it speaks volumes. I almost called him Biff. As in Back to the Future, Biff. Sure. Very similar vibe. Similar vibe. Yeah. And the sequels let us know that Biff is a Chicago cop, and you know what? Tracks. <laughs> yeah. Shitty little yeah. apology where he's like, you know, gives this great speech. The timing on that's very good. That kid is yes. very good with yeah. that. And then he's like, you know, does that little like side thing to Kevin, and is like, beat that you little trout sniffer. Which let's not examine what a trout sniffer is much further. But. No, it's not. In that moment, more so than the first one, where Kevin is genuinely a jerk. This one, it's like, no, no. His much older brother very visibly antagonized him in front of everyone. And then the kids all fell over very dramatically in a domino effect. That I don't think was his fault. That would would happen. Yeah. singing. Also, he's singing that Christmas tree song, which I think was made for this film. Mm -hmm. Co-written by Alan Menken. 
this Christmas tree song. I will note that the one text I got from Emily um, as she was watching this film was, it's a good thing Kevin McAllister is such a simp for Christmas trees. <laughs> I mean, because that this comes is the back thing around. about <laughs> this movie. Very early on, there's a scene with Catherine O'Hara and Macaulay Culkin, similar to the first film, where like basically, you know, he's complaining, she's put him up in the attic again. Um <laughs> And and there's like a list of things that get checklisted. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Kevin's recording device, the Plaza Hotel, an inflatable clown, the dad unplugging the clock, Kevin's love of Christmas trees. It's all right all there. Of these things, it's all right there. <laughs> Mr. For you Police, like... he gave them all the clues. <laughs> it's the snowman all over again. It's all there for you. Um, I want to read just a small portion of Roger Ebert's two-star review. Oh, of this it's film. so good. <laughs> Uh, I have a feeling that Home Alone 2 Lost in New York is going to be an enormous box office success, but include me out. I didn't much like the first film, and I don't much like this one, with its sadistic little hero who mercilessly hammers a couple of slow-learning crooks, nor do I enjoy the shameless attempt to leaven the mayhem by including a preachy subplot about the pigeon lady of Central Park. Call me hard-hearted, call me cynical, but please don't call me if they make Home Alone 3. <laughs> I hope someone did call him. I yeah. hope someone Roger did. Ebert? liked home alone three better than the first two home alones i think he gave it three stars and he gave the other two two and a half and two respectively so so i've not seen home alone three have you caroline i think i did but i i gotta tell you i i was not i was not interested at the time the thing about my pitch for the new home alone is that i they've made six home alone films now and Six. yeah, three, wow. three, two have been TV films and one was direct to Disney plus and came out during the pandemic. So nobody, re- but they're all about yeah. boys. And the thing is, you, you yeah. need to like, girls are little stinkers in different ways. Girls you are, need, talk you about need that. Let's go. Yeah. You need that. So Kevin's got a beloved daughter. You got to meet Hugga Pataki. <laughs> yeah. She gets home alone. Joe Pesci. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it writes itself. Huh? The dangerous game of cat and mouse between Joe Pesci and a nine-year-old girl in downtown Chicago. I will say I wrote down a line from, I wrote down another line from Ebert's review because I was looking Mm -hmm. at the reviews because I, you know, I saw that most of them were, were rotten as the site says. Um, And, you know, look, if I had to review this film, yeah, I'd probably not give it a great review because once you have to think about it, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's all fine. But a common theme across all the negative reviews was that all these adult critics thought it was maybe a bit much the way Kevin tortured the crooks in the abandoned brownstone. And Eber mm-hmm. wrote, quote, the problem is cartoon violence is only funny in cartoons. And I would like to say hard disagree to one of the greatest of our profession. Uh, he was wrong. It is I, I agree with that, too. Uh, that, that if you're us and Uncle like, Frank will think it's very funny. <laughs> But it's also like he mentions the whole like Looney Tunes component of it all, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That it feels like it's you know they're Very Wiley Wiley Coyote, Coyote and he's yeah. the Roadrunner, and I think if you think of it on that level, I, I it does work. You know what I mean? Like I, I think yeah. you just have to kind of turn your brain off and enjoy it. But I also think that as is the case, I imagine both of you can attest to this. But like critics don't love sequels, right? Like you're you're predisposed <laughs> to kind of be like really you're forcing me to potentially watch the same movie again, which sometimes it is. Um, and this film is very similar to the first one. Yes, so I, I mean, that's part of the you're definitely, I would, I would have, if it were me reviewing it, I would have gone into it being like, so 
what else are you bringing to this that you didn't in the first yeah. one? For me, yeah. that's New York, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, also, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, the sequence at the end, I don't know if, are we, do we go chronologically or Just can we'll, I jump we'll, around? We'll jump through. We'll All right. Yeah. I mean, that sequence at the end where again, extremely sweaty, how he gets them to that brownstone. Impressive, <laughs> but sweaty. Um, it, yes, it is much more intense. Daniel Stern should have died 20,000 times. Oh my God. And at one point four he comes to the head, four bricks to the head, electrocuted does, um, Hermit pointed out that it's very, um, the, the, <laughs> the skeleton is, is actually Chris Columbus repeating the planes, trains and automobiles moment. Mm-hmm. Um, an electric skeleton. Yes. But I would also like to point out, just in Kevin's defense, were I his lawyer, that these <laughs> two thieves, um, the movie works pretty hard to make them deserve it. Not that like anyone deserves to be like horribly tortured, etc. Disclaimer and so on. But you know, their Christmas Eve is going to be stealing from the sick children and then killing a child in cold blood. They say many times they're just gonna shoot Kevin in the face. They're like, I would love nothing better than to see you dead in the snow in the central park so like yeah, yeah. throw a brick at them he's gonna kill you sure. like, i <laughs> i do like your your legal pitch though the legal sequel of I kevin just, on trial it's just self-defense yeah, yeah. i <laughs> um classic I, self-defense i think there is a calibration in the first movie that this movie can't quite solve and I'm going to I'm going to say I think this movie's pretty good through the Plaza Hotel. I think the Plaza Hotel stuff is cartoony, but like the cartoon logic of it more or less works. You mm-hmm. have to buy that Tim Curry is the dumbest man alive but also the only person who's like so onto this kid. He's so He's good. Great. Um but <laughs> the Grinch smile like what are, what are you going to do? It's a perfect moment. The second you're like okay, so Pesci and Stern are back. And they just happen to run into Kevin in the biggest city on earth. And Kevin happens to know the time and date and everything of when they're going to strike and what they're planning to do. Yeah. They told him what they were very excited about their plan. And he like, doesn't want to tell any of the authorities because, and here's, here's where I can get with Kevin because Kevin's like a cab. Kevin's like, yeah, all, you know, he understands, can't necessarily trust the police because they're not maybe going to like help out at a toy store because they're going to be too busy, like not doing things. Uh, but <laughs> once I think there is a there is a thing, it's a very uh, obviously scholars have written about how the first Home Alone is a very conservative film, but it's a very primal desire to defend your home, the place you live. I don't have that desire to defend like an East village reno, you know, like I, I don't, I don't really feel like, yeah, I don't really feel like, okay, well we're renovating this brownstone in the East village or wherever they are. And like, I think that that just kind of breaks the movie. They have to work so hard to make the, the, the thieves such horrible bastards that the stakes get blown all out of proportion in a way that like, yeah, it just ends up making the movie feel a little bit cruel in a way that I think doesn't service it. And I I think they should shoot Kevin and leave him dead in Central Park. I think that's a <laughs> wow. good ending. You're going to shoot my client. That's amazing. Um, I'll say this, though. I agree with you, Emily. And I and I wonder if if they had made the, the third act or the big kind of set piece at the end, the toy store, mm-hmm. rather than the house. Right. Like, why is he not defending the toy store? I first of all, it seems like a no-brainer just Use in the terms toys. of kids and fucking toy stores. Production like, design what, that would have been production great. Production design, they've got that set. 
and, and I just think that it would have been a lot more visually interesting on top of everything else because that like a, a you know place under construction is really bleak. The whole thing felt like panic room. Like it was just like what, what exactly very, is going it's on? It's very intense. Oh my god, Fincher should direct my Home Alone sequel. <laughs> yes, great. Get him on there. But I but I just it, it felt like a real wasted opportunity to me because it's like rather than using the toy store, the toy store is really just a linchpin to to get you to another place. And I just, it's its unfortunate. I imagine it's, I'm sure there were reasons behind it. I'm sure it's much easier to pull off, you know, these various things that he does in an abandoned warehouse space or whatever then, or a house. But it, it just feels like a bummer to me. Yeah. It just doesn't work. But. Uh, that, that I can respect. And I also do think that they're, you know, in the second one, you don't have the Catherine O'Hara subplot, which is so good and full of so much emotion and like really tied to it. And also, you know, makes you feel a bit better about the fact that he is home alone because she's trying so hard to get to him. This movie has the complication of like, she doesn't even know where to go. Like she doesn't know whether, like which city to go to, fine. But I do think, you know, you lose that, you gain the plaza, you gain Brenda Fricker as the um, unhoused pigeon, pigeon lady. Yes, Academy Award winner. <laughs> um, you have that. You have the plaza, which kind of serves the same slapstick that the thieves serve in the first movie. And to me the thieves are the hat on the hat in this movie. Like yes. they only come back because they have to come back. Like there's right. kind of no yeah. reason to have them there. If this movie put Tim Curry in that role of the thieves, I think it would work so much better. I don't know. Now, now you yes. run into the problem of why right. like Kevin... Tim Curry should be yeah. like, he is an adversary, but he's not yeah. the adversary. And I don't know why. Right. Now you have the problem of why is T Kevin beating up an, a hotel employee, but like, <laughs> Well, he, to be fair, the hotel employee crept into the bathroom thinking. I was just going like, to say, what is true. he doing? Fuck. This is true. This but is I'm true. like, I, I'm also, I also say all this knowing that if there were a 40 minute short movie that were just him torturing those guys in the brownstone, that I would watch it every Christmas and I'd laugh every time. <laughs> like I, like that sequence, it's so extraneous. Like this movie's also longer than the first one. It's so it unnecessary, and I'm doing heavy air quotes for the people mm -hmm. who are not watching this on your Patreon. It's so unnecessary. It makes me laugh so hard every time. And I don't know what that says about me, but it's so funny. So to me, I, I can't get rid of it, even though I know, narratively speaking, there is no point. There is no point to having that there. I just, yeah, I just love it on a primal child loving to see the adults get electrocuted way. It's not great. It's this not, is, this, it's, I'm not coming out of this looking vicious. great, you guys. Well, I mean, I <laughs> I think it's funny. I actually, this time around, because I, you know, listen, I've watched Home Alone a whole lot of times, but like, I haven't actually like paid attention to a Home Alone film in a while. Right. So I'm watching this film and it's, it is pretty gross and mean. I don't, right? Like, sure. yeah. it, it's, I mean, he gets a, he gets shot in the ass mm. and in the dick and in the face I with don't... giant staples. I think it is not. <laughs> There's definitely a couple things that are worse than the first movie, but I think the first movie has similarly vicious pranks that just don't seem as bad because they're not in the house of horror. Yes. Like yes. they're in the warm, <laughs> yeah. they're in the house yes. that is also absolutely decorated to look Christmassy. Yeah. Like that house is Christmas colored. That house would look insane in the summer. Like all the wallpaper is red and green. Like it's it is a... such a warm house yeah. that I think yeah. it softens it, right? But then you I take agree. them to the cobweb empty house Though it also gives you one of my favorite lines of the film, which is when Daniel Stern falls to the bottom of the brownstone, looks up and goes, wow, what a hole. 
you're not going to get that anywhere else. Where are you going to get that? I mean, Daniel Stern is fully committed in this movie oh, so and is good. a lot more, I would argue, I mean, obviously you have the water and oil of, of Harry and Marv, but like, he really popped in this movie more for me. Duck like, brick kid? Of... That is so funny. That is so funny. Suck brick. He, when 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 he smiles for the camera, like he <laughs> when, <laughs> like, he's just he's pretty fantastic in this. But it's also interesting to remember that like he was filming City Slickers during the first one. Correct, correct. So first one comes out, then it's City Slickers, which he's so good in. He's so good in. And then it's this one. And also Joe Pesci has my cousin Vinny this year. So it's just yeah. like an interesting little and Pesci's won an Oscar. Yeah. Oh, Pesci's won an Oscar. He does not get nominated for my cousin Vinny for some reason. Which is crazy. But, you know. Bill, you very recently said shot in the ass, the dick in the face. And that is a great, <laughs> that is a great club anthem. I just want to say, like, we're going to set that to like. I, we're really I mean, addressing listen, all the it's true. I, I do love, there's a description of, uh. Of Macaulay Culkin slash Kevin uh, McAllister on Wikipedia that says Macaulay Culkin as Kevin, a 10 year old boy with a perchant for creating harmful inventions, which I think is a pretty fantastic way of describing him. This kid, like the physics involved in everything he does, this kid is brilliant and his family has no idea. It's, It's, yeah. I'm worried about who he is right now. It's pretty incredible. Uh, It's it's so good if we know who he is right now because it's like about the lost promise. Of like a war this criminal whole now, generation of people, he's a weapons manufacturer, and he's like, "What is the world I'm gifting to my beloved? She should be played by the girl from Florida Project." So you're because you know she can kind of play that sad note. It's just Jesus like Christ. it should be like a serious movie that uh, also has like a House of Horrors death trap sequence, but played okay. like like it should be like what? Okay, so obviously one of the most obvious uh, f- follow-ups on Home Alone is Saw. It should like, we should find the middle ground between Home Alone and Saw, and that's where oh this God. movie lives. Wow. Should we find that? Do we need to find that? I am going to find it. I am no longer on strike. Walt Disney himself sure. should call it's me. True. He's I'm just really you. enjoying yeah. how Emily and I are fully going off the rails, and Phil's just sitting there. No, it's there. great. I'm tr- I'm trying. Uh, I I You're do want to talk for a second, Emily, about someone that we have discussed before on our 99 podcast, but it's worth discussing again, which is uh, Christopher Columbus. Yes. Oh, um, hell yeah! Uh, I just was I, looking him up. His <laughs> number one rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes is I want to be clear, an abomination. I cannot <laughs> believe what his highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes is. Which is what? Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Now, I have problems with the Harry Potter franchise. No, but it's as... That is the worst Harry Potter movie. Hands down the worst. How is it top rated on Rotten Tomatoes? How is it top rated over the first Harry Potter? How come, Chief Willoughby? I I don't get... So, uh, Chris Columbus is one of those guys who, um, if I remember correctly... uh, when Emily and Libby came on to talk about everyone's favorite film, Bicentennial Man, on the on our ninety nine <laughs> podcast, oh my god, um, we we sort of we did a little bit of a, a a deep dive into into Chris Columbus, but I do think that, and I believe Emily, you said Blank Check should cover him. <laughs> I should. was thinking that while watching they this should. film, genuinely, I was like, and I will go on and I will talk about this film again. <laughs> it would I will be do it again. It'd be an interesting series. It would. Quite I mean, he has had such an interesting trajectory. I'm sure you got into it at your thing, but one thing I was thinking well, about watched you yeah. I'm sorry, you had a you had a prompt. No, I was just gonna say, you know, obviously just for, for our listeners, you've got Gremlins and Goonies in eighty four and eighty five. 
which he writes. He does not direct those films. His first directing effort is uh, everyone's favorite adventures in babysitting, which is, I think, a legit great film. I loved it as a kid. I've not seen that. Oh, I think you'd really like it. Don't watch it on Disney Plus because they get rid of the one fuck that exists in that movie. Oh my god, uh, it's a real bummer. Okay. Um, and then ultimately, Home Alone in '90 is is sort of his follow up. He has a film called Heartbreak Hotel that I've never heard of, but Home Alone, Only the Lonely, kind of an underrated film, a film that I think Emily might like. Is that a movie you've seen, Emily? It it's sad and dark. suitably bleak. Yes, I was going to yeah. say lonely. I remember. Like I remember when that movie came out. I was all in mm-hmm. on John Hughes because of fucking sure. and the John the Hughes Columbus. Like I was like, that's my. Those are my guys. Uh, because tracks. of Home Alone, and I didn't see only the lonely, but like all the press around it was like John Hughes has lured Maureen O'Hara back to acting, and I was like, she was in Home Alone because I thought she was Catherine O'Hara. So I just was like. <laughs> I mean, she hasn't been gone that long. (laughs) But Only the Lonely is a movie that doesn't really perform. Uh, Home Alone 2. Then he follows that up with Mrs. Doubtfire, which is a fucking gigantic hit. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I mean, a movie that I don't love, but I think has a soft spot in a lot of people's hearts. Do you think that when he got hired to direct the Harry Potter movies, J.K. Rowling was like, I got to check this guy's filmography, and she watched Mrs. Doubtfire and was activated? (laughs) Yep, she was like, great. Well, no, I bet she didn't see that because that would have lost the job. I'm never going to... I'm never gonna like uh, uh, forgive J.K. Rowling, but if she was like, uh, "My bad, I watched Mrs. Doubtfire, thought it was a documentary," <laughs> I would be like, "You can, you could get there. Just like, just you got to do the work, J.K." Yep. For sure. Uh, he does nine months. Uh, the the Hugh Grant, uh, Julianne Moore movie where uh, Julianne Moore has a baby. Uh, that's basically the, the premise of that film. Uh, Stepmom, a movie that mm. p- people seem people to love. Love that movie. Um, I mean, I think it's saccharine as shit, but some people really love it. Um, Bicentennial Man, the aforementioned Bicentennial Man. Uh, he then does the two Harry Potter films, Christmas with the Cranks. Is that a film you like? Emily? He doesn't, he doesn't direct that. He produces and writes it. I gotta oh, ask right, you, Phil, right. have you gotten cranked? I have not gotten cranked. Should I get cranked? Uh, I watched that movie in a bar in tw- Christmas 2019. We with had the sound our, on? We had our, yeah, I, well, I watched it with the captions. We had our uh, Arden holiday party at a bar in downtown LA in 2019 when we thought that the world was never going to end. And um, the uh, Christmas with the Cranks was on. I'd never seen it before. And it is such a, there's this like weird tradition of Christmas movies that are trying to be home alone, but are just like, God, Christmas fucking sucks and I hate it. And then at the end, it's like, oh no, I love my family. And you're like, no, what? what? They all came out in the 2000s. Christmas with the Cranks is one of the worst of them, but Phil, yes, you should get cranked. Uh, I'll get cranked. Uh, He then, uh, (laughs) for reasons that still baffle me, is handed rent. Um, And and God, that's right. Nobody and, else and wanted I, to make it. Like they were like, this this can't be done. And Chris Columbus had a vision. He was like, You bring back the original cast. They're all so much older. So old. <laughs> oh, the vision was wrong. It's, it's so strange to me because I mean, I guess to your point, Emily, 2004, 2005, or however many years they're trying to get this thing off the ground, um, is just not a time really where you, I mean, it is post-Chicago and Moulin Rouge, and I think they're probably thinking, like, musicals might be back. Maybe yeah. we can do this. But it, it's it's just very strange. What it's very strange that he match. did it. Yeah. It's, it's also, weird. It's also so this, it, yeah. 
it's also this period when people want to make musicals, but there aren't a lot of musicals right. to adapt that you're not just remaking. Right. And honestly, like that's been a problem throughout. Like we still are not in a world where people could make the Book of Mormon movie or the Hamilton movie because they've been running so long. But right. like, uh, for instance, I believe the live action Lion King was supposed to be an adaptation of the stage mm-hmm. show and then it turned mm-hmm. into an ungodly monstrosity. But yeah, like, like, we are in this world where people kind of just have to keep say, making the same musicals. And so Rent was like this thing that should have worked. Right. And yeah. Mm-mm. You just, you needed, I mean, ultimately you needed not a gun for hire, which is kind of what Chris Columbus is. Like he's, he's very competent. He's a guy who's going to, you know, you're going to get your days. It's going to look fine, but it's going to be a little soulless. And it's but just you will get a Christmas scene. No matter you what. Will definitely. Get a Christmas. Every... Maybe that's why he likes it. <laughs> It is set at Christmas. Uh, like, it is I'm set safe. at Christmas. Christmas yeah. bells are ringing. You can hear. And then he does the Percy Jackson movie, which was supposed to be a franchise, a movie I've never seen, a movie that has been now adapted into a Disney Plus show, which is, I guess, starting in the next couple weeks or whatever. Were they books but, first? Yeah, they just yes, adapted they the books, right? Yeah. For, yes. for the yeah. show. They were like, we've got to get back to and, basics. Well, the book was supposed, I mean, The Lightning Thief is the first book. Like, he thought he was being handed another Harry Potter. Right. Um, And that just obviously didn't happen. He does Pixels in 2015, everyone's favorite movie, Pixels, uh, about video games coming to life in New York, I guess, and Adam Sandler fights video games or something. Uh, And then the last movie he did was The Christmas Chronicles 2. Um, Emily, have you seen the Christmas Christmas. Chronicles movies? I've seen The Christmas Chronicles 1. I've not seen Christmas Mm. Chronicles 2. Christmas Chronicles 1, Mm kind of good. Not great, kind of good. This is like uh, Kurt Russell is yeah, uh, Kurt Russell, Santa, Kurt so. Russell's Kurt Russell's that I would fuck that Santa. <laughs> but he, uh, there's a scene he's omnipresent. He, there's a scene where he goes to jail and like the warden yeah. is is Winston from New Girl, Lamorne Morris, and then like uh, the the next tell over is uh, Steve Van Zant, and like Steve Van Zant's like I got a blues band here with me, and then they all perform, and like Kurt Russell just has some sunglasses. It's so Steve Van Zant, the um, writer of the Christmas song that yeah. Kevin oh, crosses right. the bridge over into um, New York too. That was so I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't, for just a very brief second here, uh, talk about Macaulay Culkin's career as an actor. Um, he he obviously is in these Home Alone films. Um, his father says that the only way he'll one of the first of all, it should be said, Macaulay Culkin is paid uh, $4.5 million and 5% of the film's gross to appear in this film, as opposed to the $100,000 that he got for the first film. And one of the things that is correct. Sure. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that his father demanded was um, that he be able to do the good son after it. Like that, that basically they, I think they might've actually been shot. I don't know how they were shot, but he wanted to make sure that the that Kevin that Kevin that Macaulay didn't get pigeonholed, and he thought that the good son was going to change everyone's perspective of of of, of uh, Macaulay Culkin. Uh, the good son, a movie I saw as a kid, uh, kind of scared me, kind of kind of messed me up a little bit. Uh, she drops him off a cliff. It's pretty it's fucked just up. a weird move to be like he can't do this family friendly Christmas movie until he does this other upsetting film. <laughs> Unless I unless I know that he's going to do this deeply upsetting film. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, but, you know, he does that. He does the Nutcracker, uh, Getting Even with Dad, where he gets even with his dad, uh, I believe, played by, is it Ted Danson? It is Ted Danson. Uh, the Page Master, Richie Rich. You ever see Richie Rich, Emily? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. I, I, I. I was a big Macaulay Culkin fan, but I, I did sure. not. Uh, I have I, not either, I, but I assume it's just the limo scene 
just for 90 minutes yes, for for 90 minutes Great. yeah it's i mean and that's the end he walks away in 94 after richie rich and my my assumption is he's he is rich uh and and ultimately doesn't care decides he doesn't want to be in films anymore he's in a handful of movies over the last you know between 2003 and 2019 but i mean six movies in you know over 15 years it's just yeah not, not really like he movie. he mostly acts now if like a friend of his or his longtime romantic Correct. partner brenda song are making a movie and they like corral him into doing it yeah he was in like he was in a season of american horror story uh double feature um which is one that i didn't see um yeah i don't know he was in five episodes of kings did you know that emily yes i, I did yeah yeah i've watched kings so evidently i knew it at one time but that's pretty crazy and okay um yeah you're absolutely right you know he's he just he doesn't need to do shit and oh he's in he's, he's like, good in righteous grims righteous gemstones righteous, righteous, righteous gremlins i almost yeah. said <laughs> There we go. But yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing that he kind of walks away. You know what I mean? Like, a well, lot I mean, of... good for him, um, right? Exactly. Because he was the subject of so much scrutiny. And something I was thinking about a lot while watching this was actually the um, Harry Potter reunion special, which I had to review. Mm. And something that was interesting about it, I talked a lot about Chris Columbus, obviously, and he was featured and everything. Um, that reunion special went through all the films, which was kind of an insane thing to ask them to do in like an hour. But when they were talking about the first couple and the process of getting cast, making these movies, being so young, like the three main ones, um, Emma Watson, Radcliffe and um, Rupert Rupert Grint, they were all like, you know, Chris Columbus made, you know, was so specific about the set and what they could and could not do. And was very protective of the kids in a way that, it, it was clear that if it were not Chris Columbus in the first place, that it could have gone in a much different direction and the standards for their careers or what people were treating the kids on set like could have been very different and um, that they were all very grateful to him for how he handled it. I, on the other hand, it also comes down to like their own parents, um, you know, <laughs> protecting them in a similar way. And it seems like, you know, by all accounts, it's it's so nuts to me consistently how grounded and cool and funny it's daniel radcliffe appears to be after totally. starring in that because you know it could have very easily been another macaulay situation where he was like mm-hmm. spun off into a million other directions and then burned out in front of everyone obviously that did not happen but i think it's it was interesting watching this and thinking about chris columbus as someone who directs so many kids movies who clearly feels protective of kids on his set in a certain way but i also wonder how much like how much his handling of the harry potter kids was informed by what happened with macaulay i was thinking the exact same thing as i was watching this didn't he like interview the parents of radcliffe grant and watson just to be like sure they were like not i mean which is i mean that's that's smart i think that's so smart um because what they were asked to do to star in this franchise for their formative years for like a decade of their like most formative lives was an insane thing and i truly am worried about whichever kids get cast in the tv show that you know max is supposedly doing we'll see if it happens but i'm like i i in no way trust that it will be similar it will be as careful as chris columbus clearly was i remember when stranger things was new and they were Mm. just hauling those kids everywhere i think that netflix just had them in like a van and just drove them around (laughs) yeah and i just was like what is this doing to these 
I think a lot about this as somebody who um, writes things that have kids in them a lot or young teens. Mm. Is it like, is it ethical to work with people? I'm not sure it is. And I love a lot of, you know, right. children's media. I love a lot of stuff that has kids in. I think there have been a lot of really great uh, directors. Like uh, we talked about on the Patreon, we talked about Celine Chiama's um, Petite Maman, which I think uses chill child actors beautifully. And she figured out a way to do it without being exploitative. But I think to a certain degree, anytime you're asking a kid to do a job, you're like kind of ruining them a little bit. And to be clear, there's like 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 Jenna Ortega, like when she was six, came just started doing dramatic monologues, and her parents were like, "I guess this is what she wants to do." So there right. like are exceptions. Yeah, but like you hear someone yeah. like Mara Wilson talk about that a lot, being like, you know, mm-hmm. she had a lot of experiences she wouldn't necessarily take back, but she is like, but. I would never let my kid act like she's just like, that's not something she's interested in, per- yeah. you know, perpetuating. There's, um, there's a, a podcast I've been listening to a lot recently. It's um, Eating for Free by Joan Summers and Matthew Lawson. And they've been doing a really um, um, sort of in, like longer sort of child star hell series that mm-hmm. like they're a few years younger than than me. So their touchstones are different, but they've been doing a lot of the Disney kids, you know, like the Jonai brothers and Demi and Selena and Bieber and like, you know, but like Lohan, like all these kids who came of like that age. And it's just like, you go through the stuff and you go through how many of them got messed up. And those are only the ones we know about. And it's just the the, the case for abolishing children's television is very strong. In my well, it's, you know, if you, Sarah Pauly in her book talks a lot about this as well, you know, in terms of what she went through on, on the adventures of Baron Munchausen, but also just, you know, whenever she has kids on her sets now, and she had a whole lot of them for for women talking, uh, you know, she's very, very protective and very and making sure that these kids are all okay. And her daughter wants to be an actor. And is just like, I, you know, she's really grappling with what that means. I mean, and and, and whether or not she can even really in any way, you know, in, support that. But she talks a lot about what you guys are saying, which is, you know, there's this inherent sort of moral question of whether or not we should even be subjecting children to this, right? They might want it, quote unquote, they might want the attention and they might mm-hmm. thrive on, 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 you know, what comes with it, but it's not healthy. Um, I, but, you know, I actually yeah. think Selena Gomez is kind of an interesting case mm-hmm. study because she's like, not, she's not, wasn't horribly messed up, but she pretty clearly has like, she's talked about mental health struggles she like struggles to use social media in a way that like will be to the benefit of her emotional and psychological well-being. Um, She's really good friends with someone I know a lot about Taylor Swift who had that similar thing of like, yeah, that's that similar thing where she was like eight and was like, I'm a songwriter. Let's move to Nashville. And her parents were like, what? And they like dissuaded her and dissuaded her. And then finally they Mm -hmm. did. And she, from all accounts, had great parents. And she still, there is a, this might come as a surprise. There's a little, there's a thing in Taylor Swift that's really like seeking other people's adoration and like, like interest in her. I'm shocked. I know. Just uh, give that vibe. And that's the thing I get that even. Even the child stars who didn't get totally fucked up by the process, either they kind of leave acting like like Emma Watson seems to have done, or mm-hmm. they kind of become like people who need that constant affirmation in a way that is maybe not the most beneficial to them. And like, obviously, there are a lot of actors who need constant affirmation who got started when they were like 21, you know, like it, it's right. not like 
specifically a child thing, but it is, yeah. But it's also like, you know, one of the more, I started listening to Eating for Free because they did an Ariana Grande series. And that one's always interesting because I always forget she started, like, I think it was a Nickelodeon show, right? And I was too old for it, but it was, yeah, yeah, Victoria. She started as a Broadway kid, which is so weird. Broadway kid, Nickelodeon kid, and she has talked like she's more open about her stuff than i think selena like now she's not she's definitely clamped it down in recent years but i feel like selena like even in like her documentary that came out on apple plus recently she will not she she barely she, i don't know that she ever mentions the word disney like she will not go into it um she but talk Ariana, about she's still friends with barney <laughs> she did not mention barney which i'm sure barney did not appreciate Barney didn't come up um but Ariana has always been very open about like kind of always being in identity crisis. Like she, like her, like she, her sense of self is always in flux. And I feel it. And she's, and she has always tied that to the fact that like she was on camera during her formative years, she was part of this machine. And what's interesting about home alone too, for as much as I love it and would never take it back. And how dare you suggest that the sequel shouldn't have been made. It is the moment that like, it goes from a great, like airtight family friendly holiday movie to like this is a machine like you know now macaulay yes. is part of this like franchise now it's a juggernaut it's making hundreds of millions of dollars and that inherently makes it a completely different thing hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. No, for sure. I I mean, I think that... You know, what I remember, and Emily, you kind of alluded to this, speaking of the machine, but you alluded to this earlier in terms of Batman Returns and this film were kind of, were ultimately two of the biggest movies of the year, right? Batman Returns comes out in June. This comes out in November. Batman Returns uh, had a a very unsuccessful McDonald's campaign. Um, And uh, McDonald's then went all in on home alone too. And that was sort of their Christmas Thanksgiving McDonald's sort of push. But again, like, first of all, it's kind of almost wistful to think of a time when like, basically that was the only kind of real promotional, like it just wasn't the same as we are now where like things are just so multifaceted, but um, it is interesting to me that for kids, the McDonald's happy meal was everything. Mm -hmm. And that feels like, First of all, that doesn't really exist anymore. Maybe it does. I don't know. I don't have kids. It does, but not in the same way. Not to the same degree. Yeah. Um, It's just interesting because, like, Home Alone 2 doesn't really feel like a McDonald's friendly. Like, what are, I don't know what the, which comes back to sort of why they should have had more toys. But They, I mean, the the one big toy 
like the talk boy, the recorder thing course, did not exist. It did not boy. exist. And then right. it was in the yep. script and they made it exist. And yes. I remember because I really wanted it and <laughs> they had it. They had the talk boy and then they had the talk, the talk girl, girl, the yep. purple and pink. And those are the two genders, talk boy and talk girl. Uh, <laughs> McDonald's did not have Home Alone 2 toys. Hardee's did. Because oh. I believe McDonald's had the Aladdin toys. Oh, Aladdin. Oh, that makes sense. And that's the thing about this movie and Batman Returns is Aladdin yes. and the bodyguard eat their yes. lunch. Aladdin right. just explode. And like I'm looking at the the Hardy's toys for Home Alone 2, and they do not, <laughs> they do not inspire. I mean, to be fair, what are they? What even are they? Yeah, well, what do they look like? Is got, it like here, a little okay, Kevin so, and a Harry and Marv and like a little electrocution skeleton? Or like, meals, what are we? What well, I'd buy that toy. Fun I mean, meals, honestly. each included, released on a weekly rotation. One of four sticker sheets, each with quotes and objects from the movie. One of four paper punch out premiums of Marv, Harry, the Pigeon Lady, or Kevin McAllister himself, and a 12 ounce plastic collector's cup with a specific mm. meal purchase hardy's offered free home alone two movie posters four in all these are not good toys this no, is like like good. home alone two didn't get the best people on it no but it did get product placement um, it did get a lot of product like placement. and i do Coke, think it's and funny then the plaza obviously i'm really proud of us for getting as far as we did in this without mentioning the man who owns the plaza the, uh voldemort yeah i i will say <laughs> that Curry? i do think it's yes, <laughs> i do love and do you guys i mean i don't know if you remember this when there was a moment when in canada they cut trump from oh, the yeah. broadcast right. version for, and like that they'd apparently <laughs> been doing that for years because like yeah. that's a, that you can snip that out of the movie real cleanly if you need to yeah, cut it for broadcast yeah. and sure. uh yeah and then people were like oh wow canada trying to start a Whatever. international incident no it's I just mean, they I, needed it to fit in two hours and the movie I is respect. two hours um, i mean i do think it is what first if of all started an international incident what if we had gone to war with canada over cutting Donald i don't know Trump i feel like it was close <laughs> I mean, honestly, it might have been. I, I, I'll just say, though, I've stayed at the plaza. I stayed at the plaza when I was 16 with my parents. Um, I, don't, I, I don't get it, personally. I think it's pretty... Did Donald ugly. Trump give you directions when you stayed <laughs> at the did. plaza? He didn't. He didn't. Yes, famously, his directions do not actually match what kevin yes, does correct which is very funny <laughs> it's just like he tells him the kevin exact just, it's the thing like how kevin knows not to trust cops he also knows, he knows. Not to trust. he's yeah. ahead of his time he's which is, i mean time. i think like you know as with a lot of um uh touristy new york things the idea of sure. it is better than the reality it's an older hotel people do live there um it just <laughs> hasn't been updated much i mean what's interesting about this too is that i i feel like uh, one thing I always think of now when I think of this movie is, um, I think it was, maybe it was just last year, so maybe not always is a little bit of a stretch, but I thought it was very funny. Last year, this um, British soccer player, mm -hmm. um, the lovely, um, perfectly dumb um, Jack Grealish, who if if Jamie Tart from Ted Lasso isn't based on him, it's the, <laughs> the resemblance is uncanny. It's, uh -huh. you know, he is that beautiful himbo. Mm -hmm. He, um, on his vacation last year, like they took his like goodwill and everything and his vacation was New York at Christmas and he was posting all these photos of taking the Home Alone 2 tour. He was like, he like took a photo of the plaza and was like, Home Alone Plaza. And then he took a oh photo God. of the ice rink and he called it the Harry and he called the Harvin the Harry and Marv ice rink. And I was like, 
He got this a pizza. Amazing. He like went like he did the whole thing, and it was like it was amazing. And I was watching this being like you know this again. I think like for a certain kind of kid, and I guess I'm calling myself a beautiful himbo. Like that was like what a dream. That is such a good description of you, beautiful himbo. You so beautiful much. himbo. I feel That's like I'm a, really yeah. embracing that in my 30s. I'm just like you know what? I don't know why I bother pretending like I have thoughts. <laughs> I just want to watch a, a nine-year-old electrocute two men in a in a brownstone. Uh, for for just a, a an amazing piece of odd trivia, uh, Brenda Fricker presented oh, Joe Pesci with his Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Oh, because she had won the previous year, I, but like the confluence of those things in Home Alone Two is kind of fantastic. I told my wife I was watching this movie, and mm-hmm. she was like. That movie's not very good. I don't I don't remember that movie being very good. She and I are the exact right age to have, when we saw it, realized it was just a copy of the first one mm-hmm. and have been like... So it was like one of your first movie disappointments? Really, like, like one right. of, yeah, one of our first movie disappointments. She was I like, that. I don't remember that movie being very good. And I was like, it's not. And she was like, and we talked a little bit about it and she was like, but Brenda Fricker. And I was like, who pulls? Who's like Brenda Fricker? Is their Home Alone 2 pull? It's my wife, of course. So. Well, but so Brenda Fricker talks about I, in the research I did that this is the only movie that anyone ever talks to her about, that anyone ever comes up to her about. Um, I do want to, we need to talk about the pigeon lady. Um, the pigeon lady who feels Dickensian, like she's in a different <laughs> movie. Uh, I don't. I don't fully understand. Now is she unhoused because her heart got broken one time? Is that am, I, so, am I correct? On it's that? such a correct. wild. She stopped trusting people, is what she says, and mm. she like shut herself off and became untouchable by mm. amassing pigeons, a oh, pigeon army. A baby oh, has baby sighting. The chat. An adorable baby has entered the chat. Hi, baby. <laughs> um. <laughs> She's so so thrown that you're not her grandparents because normally (laughs) when we're on talking on a screen, it's one of her grandparents. So, Uh, Um, so I want to talk about the pigeon lady because as I was watching this film, I was thinking about the penguin. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Of course, of course, uh, uh, Batman Returns. I don't know Uh, why I just like nodded like that made any sense at first. (laughs) Well, they're both wielding birds. Great. Um, They are both (laughs) on board. (laughs) On board. No notes so far let's go they both seem I, and i feel like they could have been very happy together i think if the pigeon <laughs> lady and the penguin had got together they might have been very happy uh, but it just it was one of those things where the pigeon lady is so strange it's such a strange thing to insert into this franchise if you will because like i guess it's trying to be analogous to the elderly man next door right who right. is scary in the first film so he's scared of this unhoused pigeon lady uh, in this movie. Um, feels like he should have learned the lesson. It feels <laughs> like he should have learned the like. Obviously, when you're a kid, you're scared of a lot of dumb things. Like I certainly sure. was. But like by movie logic, he should mm-hmm. have learned the lesson. It just, it just, it, yeah. It feels like a retread. I don't know. It's a total retread. I mean, I will say that I think. The pigeon lady might get a little more screen time than mm-hmm. the gentleman from the first film. And I think that the first film, again, is just so much more kind of terrestrial and grounded. And the scene in the church with him and with with uh, Kevin and the old man is just a really lovely scene. And I think they're trying to recapture that by sneaking them into Carnegie Hall somehow. I don't um, even think it's the- Carnegie Hall. It's like they filmed it in Chicago, but it's beautiful. Yeah. 
yes whatever it is but Sorry, um, yes. the no no it's fine i because i know they filmed other stuff in chicago too like the toy store the front of the toy store is also a chicago it's not actually um mm-hmm. new york but but and i understand that they're trying to sort of again <laughs> baby so podcaster baby podcaster um, Do you have anything you want to say about home alone too which i didn't let you watch no. Did she just wake up? She's looking a little she like she just, just woke, woke up. up. Yeah. 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 Um, so the Brenda Fricker thing seems like it's very much pulling on the same idea, right? Yes. Which is this this sad thing happened to her earlier in her life. Um, and Kevin's gonna teach her how to get over it. I yeah. think one I mean, the one <laughs> moment of it that I do really like is that, you know, mm-hmm. he does his incredible scream, which, you know, Macaulay Culkin yes, unparalleled scream, except sure perhaps daniel stern um <laughs> can, can rival him in terms of screams um yes, incredible correct. screams mm-hmm. um and that he starts running away and then he stops and then he goes back because he's like because he thinks about it and i think that's actually a really lovely moment to you know yes. kind yes. of take the specter of like the homeless crazy lady mm-hmm. and have him reconsider it in that moment for no other reason than he's like like maybe he is thinking of the older man. I don't know. Maybe that's just me like giving them more credit than is due. But I do quite like that moment to be like, well, you're actually just a person, aren't you? <laughs> like you are a no, human absolutely. being. Um, but I, I do. I like do the end of, yeah. the, of him giving her the turtle dove and like I, I, I do. So now think I can only think there's... of the SNL sketch where it's like Kristen Wiig and I think it's Melissa Villasenor were playing Macaulay Culkin, which is so good, and mm-hmm. she's like and. Brenda Frick is like, oh, what are you up to now? And she's like, well, you know, like, here's your turtle dove. I'm I'm off because I'm staying at the plaza with my family. I've been using my dad's credit card anyway. Have a good Christmas. And like, sure. so you have that moment I, where you're like, well, I am, can- I am so excited to announce that we've cast Brenda Fricker reprising her what? role as Pigeon Lady in Home Alone Generations dash Carly's Day Out. Um, I really thought you were going to say Yellow Jackets. And I was like, oh, my God. Who's like, she going to be exciting. Yellow Jackets? Brenda Fricker's playing adult Brenda Fricker. We have to find a <laughs> team Brenda Fricker. That's cool. I I also found myself thinking of, this is maybe strange, but uh, Harper. The Yellow from- Jackets found like a weird old cottage in the woods and Brenda Fricker was just <laughs> living there. I'm going to pitch this today. You right. should. Um I, I found myself thinking about Harper from Angels in America when she's living in Central Park and she's uh, gone off her meds and she's uh, just kind of talking to herself and uh, burning down trees and starting sure, fires. Sure. Yep. It just, I, 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 there's something about this idea of Central Park being this kind of way station for people that I think is quite interesting. Um, and it, not just in this film, but it does feel like in general, there is this kind of, because it is the only park, obviously, you know, in Manhattan, there's kind of this um, almost a magic realism that mm-hmm. seems associated with it that I think is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Have, either, um, have either of you seen the Christmas film, It Happened on Fifth Avenue? No. It's from the 40s. Um, okay. It is a really wonderful film about some, uh, a rich man leaves his mansion because he's going to go travel to Florida or something. And a bunch of unhoused people move into it and have a lovely Christmas there. And that like has some of the vibe of what they're kind of going for with the Brenda Fricker character. But like, there is this tension in like, again, this is a fundamentally conservative concept, but they're trying to do something vaguely progressive with Brenda Fricker, but the two are at odds. So it's kind of like, well, I guess you're just homeless and that's fine. 
that's your lot in life yeah. good for you but uh in home alone generations carly's day out uh they are we're going to re- reveal that kevin used his raytheon money to buy her a house so that's 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 the house that carly ends up having to defend so it it, it does feel like because I'm, th- I'm thinking about like john hughes's filmography and this kind of I don't know that it's a trope necessarily, but like Curly Sue has a similar kind of thing of like Mm. plucking people out of, you know, less than ideal circumstances. If it's being unhoused or not having money or an orphanage, like he likes it. It almost feels fairy tale esque, right. Of this idea of trying to kind of play in that, in that world. Um, Ali Sheedy speaking. (laughs) Oh, the baby is leaving. Oh, the baby's leaving. Uh, She's Al- going to take a bath. John Hughes, oh, yes, uh, Ali, Ali Sheedy shows up in this film for five seconds as a airline desk clerk. Um, it makes me sad that that's where Ali Sheedy was in 1992 since she's... Did really she not just, but... like, maybe do it as a cameo? Is, or was that, like... Uh, maybe? I don't know. I mean, look, I don't everyone... Know. The one thing I think um, we can take from that is that everyone who's in this film... Uh, mm-hmm. is making crazy residuals off it still. And frankly, for the amount of times that it plays on television, they should. It's like, it's yeah. constant. constant. And I think I was reading some interview with like, not a very good interview, but it was like someone had gotten a hold of the other McAllister kids who are just mm-hmm. people who, mm-hmm. you know, aren't still in the industry. And someone literally was just like, well, at the very least, this film has bankrolled my life for the last 25 years. Like, they were very straight up about it. Ali sure. Sheedy did a lot of cameos in John Hughes movies. So I'm okay. guessing okay. that she did this as a okay. favorite to him. She had a, as like a John substantial... Hughes cinematic universe. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's okay. always playing the same character too. So. Oh, really? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I didn't mean that to sound as a slight against Ali Sheedy. I just really love her as an well, actor. Also, so I mean, just like, you might have I, wanted her you know, to be in it in a more substantial I was way. More substantial. Like it's as the Plaza yeah. Hotel person, even though Dana Ivey does such a good job with that. The fact that it's Jeez. Dana Ivey, Tim Curry, and Rob Schneider also. Rob yeah, Schneider. like what a trio. They they do a great job. But one of I think one of my favorite parts lines of the movie is when Catherine Harry is like, "What kind of idiots do you have running this place?" And she and Dana Ivey goes, "The <laughs> finest in the city," and they just all beam. <laughs> Thrilled with yeah. themselves. It's such a good. That's such a. Good it's moment. a great moment because they are. I think. So dumb. I think that Rob Schneider met Donald Trump while making this film, and he was <laughs> activated. So that's Chris actually. Columbus is responsible for so He's many of our problems. All right. Well, so then, in that problems. in that instance, I can't defend the film. Uh, this I, this I, might be also be the moment where I admit that I didn't know that Angels with Filthy and Filthier Souls was a fake film until about four years ago. Same. Wow. Same. Really? I mean, yeah. like, for real, both of you? I mean, I, I was like I very would, impressed with how I, he used this movie. I would guess that I like was in my 30s. Like I probably Chris five Columbus to did a great job yeah. recreating that vibe because I, yeah. I really didn't know. It's it's crazy. More, so um, more movies should have fake movies that the characters use to fool people with. I agree. I um I do think just because it occurred to me as we were talking about Harry Potter a second ago, uh, the John Williams score in this movie is very Harry Potter. Um, the the Home Alone scores, I feel like Harry Potter pulls pretty liberally from. My, my assumption being um, perhaps that they were, it might have been used as temp score on the first Harry Potter mm. um, or whatever the case might be. But uh, the score in this film is doing a lot of work. 
like it's, a lot. I mean, it's worse. so good. The score is so good. You know, the fact that it's like yeah. it's clearly Christmassy, but then there's like a little minor key sort of like mischief coming. Yeah, like it's it's a little spooky, but it's mostly cheery. It like you know exactly what vibe you're going for. It would be the fact that they then come together for Harry Potter makes absolutely sense. Um, absolute right. sense. And I was thinking recently about like why the hell Harry Potter like marathons are like thought of as a Christmas thing. I know Christmas features in every um, movie, but like so do a lot. But I think genuinely it's like, I think it's the score. It's very Christmassy and it makes everything feel Christmassy. I think it, I think a lot of people feel this a similar way about Lord of the Rings and rewatch it every, I think it's because those first two movies came out at Thanksgiving and it was just like, right. Thanksgiving. uh, I feel very, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, I do think that, that score. I do think John Williams scores so much of the success of Home Alone. Like it gives that movie a feeling of epicness that it doesn't really need, but that really pushes it over the top. Uh, he got a one of his many Oscar nominations, two of his many Oscar nominations for Home Alone 1. And when I was a kid, I was furious that it hadn't gotten more nominations. I was like, that was a shoe in for Best Picture and Best Actor, surely. Uh, <laughs> and it was not. Um, although I do, I do agree with um, Joe Reed of this had Oscar buzz that Catherine O'Hara should have been supporting nominated for that. I film. mean, I She's love that, so and good. I think I think there's a case for Macaulay. I was re- like, I mean, I don't know who you would have been up against, but I watching this I'm movie. Pull it up for you, just so you uh, fantastic. So, we, so I so I can yeah. so I have to defend that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I, you know, I'm sure another kid would have been as charming. You know, there are other charming kids. He is such a big part of the success of this, and especially because. Y- you forget until you have to pay attention to the structure of this movie, how much of both home alones is just him talking to himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's, I mean, it really can't sort of be undersold how good he is in that first movie. And I mean, he's very good in this one too, but like you're putting the entire thing on his shoulders, really like it doesn't work without him. Um, and he's a kid on top of everything else. And as you know, as we all know, kid actors are tough. Like it's tough to find them. It's tough to sort of, you know, um, pull great performances out of them sometimes. But I will say, Emily, you mentioned Catherine O'Hara um, deserving an Academy Award nomination for the first Home Alone, which I agree with. <laughs> that being said, it was a pretty stacked year. You had Whoopi Goldberg who won for Ghost, Annette Bening for The Grifters, Lorraine Bracco for Goodfellas, Diane Ladd for Wild at Heart, and Mary McDonnell for Dances with Wolves. I mean, I I would put I would sneak Catherine O'Hara in there over a couple of those. I might okay. I might All put right. her in over Benning. I love Benning and the Grifters. What? But, I love yeah. the Grifters. I love the. Grifters, I, it's been I a while it. since I've seen that. I might put her in over Mary McDonald, despite my love of Mary that, McDonald. And I do think she's better in that movie than the reputation of that movie would suggest. Correct. But um, she's playing an impossible part. She's playing it really well. I just looked I up agree. and discovered that Home Alone was nominated for two Golden Globes. Best Which picture, were... musical or comedy, best actor in a musical or comedy for Macaulay. And there it lost go. both of those awards to Green Card, a Peter Will film. Peter Weir film. <laughs> Do you think Macaulay Culkin is like still mad at Gerard Depardieu? Do you think like for stealing that his would be a great Probably. rivalry? That would be a really good feud. Do you think like Brenda Song, one of my favorite comedic actors who I think should get more work? I just love her. Do you think she wakes up at night and is like, Macaulay's not here? And she goes downstairs and he's like leaning over like a mug of tea, just staring into it. And she's like, just stop stewing. thinking about Gerard. And he's like, I can't. <laughs> 
But you know what's interesting is that Gerard is nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars, but not for Green Card. He's nominated for uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. It was the year of Depardieu. But um, but to your question earlier, uh, Caroline, Jeremy Irons wins for Reversal of Fortune. Kevin Costner dances with wolves. Robert De Niro for Awakenings. Gerard Depardieu and uh, Richard Harris for The Field. I think that Macaulay should have got in there. You're just saying, that. fuck yeah. Depardieu. Let's. <laughs> Let's get rid of I us. mean, yes, for real though. Putting that on the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's very strange. It's it's one of those movies. The first Home Alone is a staple. This movie feels like it's obviously leeching uh, the love from the first one. Emily mentioned, uh, you know, it does well, but it doesn't do as well as they thought it was going to do at the box office. I mean, listen almost 400 million dollars on a 28 million dollar budget yeah yeah but but it is just interesting how the film sort of uh, its legacy if you is is mostly associated with the plaza hotel i mean it's, it's kind of associated with with trump to some degree the, the stupidity of him getting the cameo whatever i think this movie for me and i'm gonna stand up for a little bit i think the new okay. york thing it is okay. a much bigger part of its legacy than you're giving okay. it credit for. I think, I think like New York at Christmas has such a specific, okay. Fair enough. has such a specific stranglehold on like, you know, I feel like New York at Christmas, like that was a very like classic, you know, movies from like thirties, forties, et cetera. And then it kind of like went away and mm-hmm. it became more like, you know, a Christmas story is very Midwestern, like yeah. that kind of thing. And then yeah. I feel like this, you know, kind of harken back to that New York at Christmas thing. Um, uh, yeah, everybody's trying to copy. Smart. Everybody's trying to copy. It's a Wonderful Life. Always. And the blueprint. And then this movie's like, like obviously Scrooge and some other movies do do New York Christmas, but like I like Scrooge. Mm-hmm. This movie, I don't. This movie is I like for a person who <laughs> loves Christmas. I just am like on this episode. It's because um, you like Christmas so much. You have high standards. Yeah, I, do, uh, and I respect that. Uh, but yeah, this movie, like, I feel like this movie kind of walked so Elf could run because Elf mm. is like a really great New York Christmas movie. I don't like Elf. Listen. Oh, wow. Listen. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm not an Elf fan. The Christmas off right There's now. A, there are some, like, Who knew? I think that Elf has problems. I think it has like substantial issues, especially in how it presents the romantic relationship, which makes no fucking sense. But it has a little. None stop motion narwhal that comes out of the woods is like goodbye buddy and that's four stars right there four out of five (laughs) look that that's impeccable logic i'm not gonna fight that (laughs) yeah there's something you can't fight that yeah but like Um, new york yeah new york at christmas lends itself to like hijinks in a way that other settings don't so it's a very hijinks heavy movie it's very slapstick in the way you were talking about earlier and if that's not why you liked the first movie then yeah no this movie's not gonna be as appealing because the first one is so good on like you know ultimately you know it, it, it's him having this fantasy of like what does my life look without a family look like without a family but also what does home look like and sort of creating a home for himself and a vibe and realizing that he wants his family and for this one it's just like isn't uh isn't this hotel great and fun like yeah, it's but- not like yeah it's not the same sort of like heartwarming fantasy in that way so i can appreciate that like losing that element of it really does suck some of the like narratively complex aspects of it out the wish fulfillment of this movie is what if i didn't have to go on vacation with my family which is like 
I mean, honestly, with that many kids. Yeah. Uh, okay. I can get, the, but like, just go to summer camp, kid. Your parents can clearly afford it. It could clearly go afford a like camp, nice summer kid. camp. But then, yeah, um, I mean, but summer camp is not with his family, right? So, like, yeah, his idea is like, wouldn't it? What What would it be like? I mean, this year, I recently went on my first solo vacation ever as an adult person. Oh wow! I went to Amsterdam for a week. Ooh. Ooh, I know, very nice. It Fancy. was very nice, and I feel like, oh my god, there was one night when I did like the equivalent of like I was like I had a pizza alone in my hotel room. Hey. Did you fold it like in green card? You know, yeah, green book. That not is, no, it wasn't a great pizza. It didn't matter, but it was like I, I, I like that. The the fantasy of the solo vacation. I feel like I, I get it. I understand yeah. it, and it yeah, really yeah. it was great, and also very like interesting and different to be like, okay, so I don't have to consider this many people. What do I want to do? And to see like I'm not a person of youngest sibling experience. I'm an eldest sure. sibling. But I can appreciate that as the youngest of that many kids who usually gets lost in the shuffle, that this like that is a very powerful wish fulfillment situation of him being like, I can do whatever I want to do. I do think now that we're having this discussion, I do think one of the problems with this movie is it is a Christmas movie, not in the sense that like, I think that's bad. I like that it's Christmas. I like the Christmas aspects of this movie. There's a big tree. New York at Christmas is I in 2016 after the election was like i gotta get to new york for christmas just in case and i did and it was All great right. <laughs> uh i like talked to vox into like paying to fly me out there oh, I, did, nice. I like i did work while i was there it wasn't like it was like i was bamboozling I them yeah. but uh but yeah I, I i went to new york for christmas so i like that aspect of it. i do think there is a very interesting direct home alone sequel that is a summer movie that is like mm-hmm. i'm at summer camp I'm in a summer vacation rental. Like, I think there's just, there's a lot of, a lot of the stuff here is, is amping up the stuff from the first film. Cause they have to summer brings you a whole new set of elements to play with. He sure. can like drown them in a pool. That'd be great. Sure. Or Thanksgiving. But you don't get the same you know? or thanks Thanksgiving. Yeah. Maybe because it's yeah. one of the, un, the underplayed thing here. And I think it's, you know, it's the conceit to get him to be like the robbers can't get away with it is like, you know, it's like, Oh, they're going to steal from sick children. And that's like, it's like sick children at Christmas. What kind of monsters? And that's kind of my favorite line in the movie where he says, you can mess with a lot of things, but you can't mess with kids on Christmas. Christmas. I mean, he's not wrong. That's pretty fucked up. You don't get the, you don't get the same thing with like, you can't mess with kids on the 4th of July. You absolutely can. And you should. (laughs) (laughs) And you you should. (laughs) The, uh, uh, I do think that like uh, there are magical things that happen on Christmas Eve. Uh, animals gain the power of speech. Santa Claus can fly around the world in one night, and children can beat up burglars like with yeah. elaborate death traps. Those are things that are true. Those are Christmas all things Eve. that happen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of as we sort of wrap this up, I feel like, um, the end of this film, the end of this, uh. I don't, it's not the end of this franchise, but it's the end of Macaulay being in this in this franchise. Um, ends with, as I mentioned earlier, the whole family in a big hotel room at the plaza. They got a whole bunch of presents from uh, from the from Duncan, the man who had the the, the toy store, um, because uh, <laughs> Kevin threw a brick through the window with a note attached to it that said, "I had to do this in order to get the burglars that were going to steal all your money." The trigger the I alarm. love the cop. Yeah. Talk about like inept cops. Like cop picks up brick and says, "Hey, I think this is for you." Like just 
everyone's just inept in this movie. This movie I would say except movie for Kevin. Kevin is the only yeah. one with any smarts at all. Well, this is, I mean, which that's is interesting, also the, but he's the smartest is the person in this movie. Right. Right. Which is like kids are smarter than all the adults. All the right. adults are yeah, dummies yeah. and the kids are I do think, one. I do think that this but. movie, as much as I love Tim Curry's performance, and I think it pushes that logic a little too far. Oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> Angels with filthier souls fools everyone. Um, I, I do. Tim love Curry that... thinks an inflatable clown is a man in a shower. He put a shower cap on it. <laughs> he did. Anyone Watch would her. be fooled. Yeah. Caroline was locked and loaded with that. By the way, <laughs> she knew it was coming, and she was. <laughs> I just thought it was, like, it was a great detail. Why did he do that? Really funny. <laughs> um, I mean, it's an insane setup with the pulleys and the whatever in order to it, anyway. But it, it's it, it is. It's a nice ending. It's a similar ending to the first one where the dad gets the room service bill. Because, like, isn't there... There's a shot outside the house in the first one where you hear the parents screaming at Kevin about something. But I can't oh, no, it's Buzz's it. room was trashed. Oh, okay. okay. Like, you, like what so did this, you do to my room? But this one is the room service bill. And I find it very funny. And also, like, frankly, quite fitting for a Trump-owned um, property right. that he was like, I guess we have to give them a suite. But I draw the line at paying for the ice cream. <laughs> they will pay for the ice cream bar. <laughs> And I paused it to look at the the bill. It, it checks it's out. Like, it, <laughs> does it? I mean, so the bill comes to nine hundred and sixty-seven dollars just in ice cream. And no, no, no. It's two charges? chocolate cakes. It's an ice cream bar. It's a pastry cart. It's like six flans. It's all <laughs> and um, thirty-six. Possibly eaten all of this. Thirty-six chocolate-covered strawberries. It's like. You remember how a few years ago, everybody discovered that Home Alone 1, there's that sequence where his ticket gets accidentally put in. And so like that covers up a certain amount of logic or whatever. And like nobody had really realized it until a few years ago. These movies are sticklers for details. They weren't just going to start Home Alone 2 with Kevin walking down Fifth Avenue being like, well, I'm lost in New York this time. They were going <laughs> to show I mean, I will say work. that like. If this was your first movie disappointment, I feel like this was mm-hmm. my first, like, you know, being younger or whatever. I feel like in my head, it was like, oh, my God, like the the concept of like a callback or like setting the thing. So mm-hmm. like that scene that you were talking about earlier, Phil, with like, here's mm-hmm. the talk boy, this, that and the other thing. I was like, oh, my God, it's all coming back. It's and so for me, back. for me, like all the repetition and like yeah. the angels with filthy souls, like, oh, my God, they got all of it in. They made it all. They put it like I was. So, so it's all Easter eggs, but like not even good Easter eggs. I, exactly Easter. I, like I feel like it was my first Easter egg movie where I was like, "Holy shit, it's I, the same guy doing the same thing." I used to have a feature. I used to have a feature at Vox called Critic at Large, Critic at Small, where I talked mm. to. Oh my god, I love that. My <laughs> beloved editor's uh, daughter, who when the mm. first one we did, she was four and a half, and she grew up to like I think seven by the time we did the last one, okay. and. I think there should be a major motion picture critic who is just a really smart five-year-old. Like there should just <laughs> one of the our great publications should just every every year there's a new very smart five-year-old who writes movie reviews. <laughs> then they they age out of the job and we hire a new very smart five-year-old. <laughs> I mean, was it I was mean, it Mike Ryan who did a uh, someone recently did a review, but it was like it was Paw Patrol. And he was just like, I went to see with my kid and I don't know what to say about it. So I'm just going to ask her questions. <laughs> and I respected that. That sounds fantastic. I, yeah. So um, 
Caroline, at the end of our episodes, we rate our films. We rate them oh, uh, from baby. 0 to 99, Here 0 being the lowest, 99 <laughs> being the highest. We rate it back in 92 uh, or when you first saw it, hmm. and then we rate it today as okay. to how perhaps your perspective has changed on this. Okay. I had not seen this film in 92, weirdly. I saw it like later, and it just it, it doesn't make sense for me to rate it then. But I came into this podcast at a 60, and after this conversation... I'm going to hold it a 60. I think this movie is like a solid 60. 60? I don't think it's a great movie, um, but I, you know, I get it. I understand why people really like it. Um, you know, I think the first Home Alone I probably put up in like the high 80s, maybe even low 90s. Like I think that movie is pretty, pretty spectacular for what it is, but um, that's where I'm at. Where right, are so you it's at? Out of, it's out of 92 or 99? Zero to 99. Okay. I have to think about my life for a second. Uh, I, uh, so as I've stated yes. frequently on this podcast, when I saw movies, when I was like a kid, they were all, all either zeros or 99s. Like there right. was no middle ground. I want to say Home Alone 2 is the first movie. I liked it. I probably would have given mixed. it like, I probably would have given it a 70. I probably would have been like, okay. they didn't, they didn't okay. nail everything here. I don't know how I feel about that. Am I getting old? Am I going to die someday? Like that was, that was my experience watching okay. Home Alone 2. Um, that was also my experience of watching it in my 40s that I was like, am I getting old? Am I going to die someday? Um, I want to say coming into this podcast, I probably would have given it like a 42. Okay. okay. But now yep. after this conversation, I'm going to give it whatever Caroline gives it because she is a very good friend of mine and I love her very much <laughs> and I, I want her to be happy. Um, and it's Christmas time. So in the spirit of giving. That's I'm going fantastic. to give it whatever Caroline gives it. Uh, queer phobia rating, I'm going to give it oh, a yeah. four. There's just a few too many jokes that are like boys kissing boys. Wouldn't that yeah. be strange? That would never yeah. happen. Oh, sure. The cliff moment. Yeah. Mm. Cliff's, a, um, Cliff's a looker. Like, they should be happy. Cliff's got a very handsome mustache. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Well, now I'm like... <laughs> I, I I can't trust my myself at all in this, but I'm gonna take Emily's um, rating and I'm gonna double it, baby. We're gonna double yeah. it. You're gonna stick with that because you said you 84, would. baby. We're giving it an 84. I'm also giving this film an 84, which is weird because I'd probably give the first Home Alone an 80, but you know what? That's because this movie's better. First movie, I'll give it 90. This one, I'm giving an 84. Um, Caroline. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but oh, uh, do you have any favorite Christmas movies? Just uh, curious as to where you're, since this is, it's that time of year. And as we wrap this up, I'm just curious as to some yeah. holiday cheer that you enjoyed as a kid or even now. I mean, the thing is like, I would probably say like the home, the homes alone, sure. the home alones, the home alones home probably, alones. but I like the yeah, homes yeah. alone. Homes um, alone. <laughs> those are very nostalgic for me. Sure. Um, but I feel like. Let me think. I'm trying to. I mean, I really love the original Grinch cartoon. Sure. Um, the live action freaks me out. No, thank you. It's, um, it's I respect freaky. the swing, but the original Grinch cartoon I love. And to bring this full circle to, I think we were having this conversation off mic, but the Peanuts Christmas special yes. Yes. is excellent. Um, I feel like for me, yeah, I think it was more like specials. I think like those are more. Right. Was into. Um, I missed a bunch of ones. I feel like I didn't watch It's a Wonderful Life for a really long time. My mom hated Christmas I mean, Christmas obviously Love Actually is your favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> Obviously Love Actually. Oh, my God. I mean, I really did like that movie until my mom 
um, watched it like mostly silent, which is huge for her because she's she's a talker. She'll talk through every movie. And at the end of this behemoth film, because it's so long, she kind of just turns <laughs> to me and she was like, why are all the women, why do all the women work for these men? All the women who like get with the guy, like they're all like his like, you know, direct inferior. And I was like, oh, fuck, you just ruined it forever. Like, I can never, every single one. She was just like, mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I really do think that one reason why I wanted to come on for this one is that I was like, these were so nostalgic in a very sure. specific way. And I don't, I, I can't think of one I liked more than it, um, to be honest. It's, I mean, Emily, you did a draft, a Christmas draft on screen drafts, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Christmas adjacent, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Christmas, it's Christmas Definitely adjacent, forgetting some, so please throw some out there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I do think it's interesting that, because I had this discussion with my roommate, who is a very big holiday movie person. Like, when I said I had to watch this movie, she's like, I can't be in the same room as this movie until December. Like, she just, <laughs> she's very strict rules i mean i'm glad Um, that i got to watch this in november versus october i will say it was it was correct sure fair enough um but what's interesting is the rules that people have for christmas movies in terms of what you know what i mean emily you obviously had these rules when you did your christmas adjacent but i just think it's interesting like christmas i'm assuming needs to actually fold into the plot of the movie for it to Mm. be considered a christmas movie i think so the impression I feel um, like people keep stretching the definition. Right. Yeah. We've gone from Christmas is featured somewhere to this movie came out at Christmas and I remember seeing it in theaters <laughs> at that time, which is fine. I do think to some degree, like as we become a, a, a more diverse country that has more room for religious experiences other than Christianity, like probably it is worth talking about movies that have that end of year vibe, mm-hmm. but aren't necessarily directly Christmas related. But I do think like, I do think on the on the screen drafts we did, we came up with something called the Die Hard Gremlins line, which is basically Die Hard is not a Christmas movie because you could set that at another time and the plot would more or less make sense. And Gremlins mm. is a Christmas movie because that story only makes sense at Christmas. So like that was kind okay. of the line we came up with. And I think, That's smart. you know, but there's a lot of like, I think It's a Wonderful Life rides that line. Like It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. you could probably set at a time other than Christmas. You gain a lot from Christmas, but yeah. I don't know. Christmas, uh, obviously, uh, a thing that I think about a lot. <laughs> uh, Christmas is great. Um, yeah. What about you? Since I mean, Christmas is not something you actively celebrate. I mean, so what does it? What does yeah. it mean? What? How did Christmas you know, movies factor into like your childhood as like a genre? That's a, that is. Well, I appreciate the question, Caroline. Um, Emily never asks me questions. <laughs> I just. I. I, live I mean, to I listen. You. <laughs> it's true um like last night you texted me something that you thought i would think was a joke and yeah you took it spiraling. so seriously i uh it's i great. won't say because it's 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 yeah maybe i'll want to force you to do it someday. <laughs> but god damn it um so it was an episode idea but to answer your question caroline i do think that um the movies that probably that i associate with christmas um are Batman Returns, Die Hard, and Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon. Those right. are Christmas movies to me. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that there that I haven't seen lots of movies that take place at Christmas and probably have, but I just like I don't like Love Actually particularly. No, it's um, bad. It's it's not good. It's, it's um, straight up I, bad. I, 
<laughs> I also like I've never seen Miracle on 34th Street, which mm. um, people say I, is great. I feel like <laughs> this this takes some stuff from that for sure. Right. Um, I love Elf. I think Elf's a great Christmas movie. But again, like it's weird and it's it's also kind of you just can't really think about it. Like I guess I'm I mean, just it's, it's of, a cartoon. I, that one's a cartoon. Right. I prefer my Christmas movies to have sort of like Christmas in the background and mm-hmm. Christmas to be a time that's happening. A as feature. Opposed to something yeah. Else. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, listen, that's, that's me. Yeah. I, I, I like my Christmases with cat women and penguins personally. I mean, how, that's, how that's you, a fair line. How do you feel about it's a wonderful life? I like it's a wonderful life. I had not seen it. Truthfully. I'd never seen it until I saw it in the theater in Toronto pre-COVID I want to say maybe it was 2018 or 2019 it was playing in Toronto and I'd never seen it um and I went with some friends and who knew good movie guys uh you know great movie it it was I was just honestly I was just excited that I got to see it on the big screen too like to just to see that it's a really beautiful looking movie Mm -hmm. I mean I think that uh um oh my god why am I drawing a blank on the filmmaker Jesus Christ Frank Capra Frank Capra Jesus yeah Frank Capra's movies look beautiful um but yeah, I I think it's a sad ass movie too. Like the fucking, it's just really that's ghosted. Why that's I why love I'm really it. That's why I like it. My sister got so like she was scared of that movie. Like it's it freaked her out. Um, I think she she was a very anxious kid, and I think she thought about it way harder than I ever did. I was just like, oh, that everyone ends up happy, and she's like, but he's so sad. I feel like Ruby has thoughts. Oh yes, no, my dog always has thoughts. <laughs> she heard sad, and Emily. Oh my God, <laughs> she, she heard up. it. Or if someone's at the door. But yeah, I don't Um, know. And I think also, you know, there's something to the sort of like Christmas movies very much emphasize the like, it's about family and gathering and whatever. So I feel like at some point, like these movies become part of like your family memories. So for me, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about the movies I watched with my family. Um, And that becomes... So for for me, these are really nostalgic because I feel like these are some of like, these are the movies that I know I can put on with my family and we will laugh at it every time. I tried to show them Elf, actually. And we were watching, I, I had never seen it until kind of recently. So I was like, let's all watch it. And the stony silence with which my family greeted that film, it was... It was Will Ferrell fans, I take it. I was, they kind of, my dad, like, one of his favorite movies of all time is the Talladega Nights. And it was just, they could not yeah, vibe with no whatever one. Elf yeah. was was given. But it was the kind of thing where I was like, well, maybe I would have liked this movie if I didn't watch it with my family who hated it you know right that's not what they wanted from it but i think that there is something to the and i and i do i i think it's it's a fair criticism to be like the first one draws so strongly on those heartstrings of like this is a family movie about family at christmas the second one yeah this could have happened at another time of year he could have hit up the plaza at another time of year and done a whole thing that wasn't christmas centric the first one is so he couldn't have been a simp for Christmas trees. He could August. not have been a simp for Christmas trees. And that to me, you know, that would have been a tragedy. So let us, if, if there's I, anything else we can take from this film, let it be that. Uh, Absolutely. We, we have another Christmas episode coming up. So I will go deep on my weird, sad relationship to Christmas Ooh. with, with Tom it does feel like we have <laughs> with, with uh, Tom Meissen and Clay Keller. When we talk about, uh, but yeah, I, Christmas, I, Christmas when Carol. people, I just realized as Caroline was talking about her relationship to Christmas movies that like, I don't have that at all. And like, that's probably like mm. part of my love of Christmas, I think, is that I had to make up all my own traditions as an adult. And like, right. I think that is, I don't know. Well, that's I really powerful. That's... And that that's something that it's it's interesting too. that, like that Kevin does that in the first it's... movie. 
his tradition is getting lost at Christmas time. <laughs> I I do think though, to your point, Emily, that like what's so interesting is again, I didn't celebrate Christmas in the strictest sense of the word. I had family dinners, obviously, that happened around the holidays and we exchanged gifts and all of that, but like it wasn't Christmas per se. And I do think that part of Christmas is is just the vibe of walking around stores and hearing Christmas carols. And if you are in a place that has snow, that's even better. And I, mm-hmm. I just think that it's a vibe and it's, it's just it's a, a cozy vibe. It's a potential is the thing, right? Like it's, yeah. it's the possibility of Christmas that I think is so lovely. We are watching the show Bluey with our child mm. because mm-hmm. we are introducing them to television. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And their Christmas episode is set in Australia, so it's a summertime thing. So, like, mm. they have a barbecue, they go for a swim, That's and it still had that feeling. It still had that feeling of, like, oh, there's mm. going to be this moment of beautiful togetherness, even though we're all in a pool. And, like, I don't know. I, I it's, yeah. It's interesting, because half this movie hinges on Kevin hating the idea of palm trees so much that he'd rather get lost in New York. <laughs> Correct. Which I love. Which I love. Uh, I have Um, one last question for you, Caroline, before we let you go. Yes. Um, Because I know you're a TV person, Mm -hmm. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, do you have some favorite Christmas episodes? Do you have a favorite Christmas TV episode that comes to mind? Well, it's interesting because when you ask about Christmas movies, I feel like I kept thinking about episodes. And there's an argument to be made that like the Peanuts special is a a TV episode. So is The Grinch. Like they were shown on TV like that. I think those count more as TV than movies. Um, Absolutely. For sure. So those, um, I will say the Hey Arnold episode, the Christmas Hey Arnold episode <laughs> is really good, but also like absolutely devastating. It's one of the most devastating um, Jeez, okay. Christmas thing ever, which is like, it's, it's um, one of the- You wrote about um, that residents. for us. You wrote about I'm that saying. baby club. About the Hey Arnold Christmas episode? I think you did. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Yeah. I thought you said you did. And I was like, you no, just I've told never me you'd seen never it. seen yeah, it. But if no. you had, if the only episode of Hey Arnold you had seen was the devastating Christmas one, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's about like, you know, Arnold lives in a boarding house with his, that his grandparents run. And at Christmas, one of the residents is this Vietnamese man who hasn't seen his daughter in many years. And it's about Arnold reuniting right. them. And it's like, so okay. lovely and sad and wonderful. Um, so that one was great. But I find it very hard to rewatch because it, it genuinely sure. makes me um, sad. Um, even though it is ultimately a happy thing mm-hmm. um i mean one of the christmas that one of the to bring this very full circle great um you know emily and i first met because of community um i know you know community a very like you know intense fraud part of your writing career we, but uh, it did bring us together so for we, that reason it was worth it i told this story in our <laughs> memoirs of an invisible man episode of course which is right. you know <laughs> So Chevy Chase brought you guys for, together. Chevy Chase yes, go to that one for our origin story. <laughs> um, but I feel like, you know, then I like message you on Twitter to be like, you know, and then um to be like, hey, big fan, et cetera. Um, and you asked me to send you like a couple, like I think, samples of my work. And I think one of them is something I had written about Abed's uncontrollable Christmas. Hmm? And it was about like, you know, blue Christmases and sort of um really loving that flavor of christmas story which i think the hey arnold episode is of a similar vibe even if it's not stop motion sure um but uh, but that one <laughs> I, I haven't rewatched in a very long time but it does hold a, a special place because it brought me to one miss emily st james so Listen, I, I would be remiss to not mention perfect. it 
perfect. Would you be surprised that from you sending me a thing that was like, I like sad Christmas things, I not only like gave you a job, but also a lifelong friendship? <laughs> I mean, you know, there there we have it. Oh my God, I had this hat. I didn't even bring it here. I, I, I brought a prop. For That's us. incredible. I brought a hat that I was supposed oh, to wear for this. I, I should have worn a Christmas sweater. You I, I a will Christmas for, the, for the for the Muppet, Muppet Christmas Girl. Patrons. Yeah. I, you can yes. see me in a in a very big Christmas hat yeah. at this time. Uh, Phil, before you take us out, which I know you're going to do, I am so pleased to announce that uh, we have signed Catherine O'Hara to reprise oh. her role in uh, Home Alone Generations dash Carly's Day Out. Maybe it should be a no Home Alone colon Generations uh-huh. hyphen Carly's yeah, yeah, yeah. Day Out. Day out. Directed Exclamation by David point. Fincher. Yeah. Oh, Fincher's doing it. You got yeah, Fincher. Yeah. Fin- we got Fincher. It's going to be a little bit more grounded take on the Home Alone franchise. So. <laughs> Watch out for that. A little guys. bit grittier too. Yeah. It'd be great. Um, so Caroline, where can people read you, listen to you? Is there are there ways uh, that they can? Are there are I mean, there social media things that you would want people to perhaps be following? I, mean, I you? guess technically you can find me on the platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, uh, okay. Even though I'm spending far less time there, I am a bit more Aren't on Blue Sky. I'm on Instagram somewhere. I'm a bit in between my writing things at the moment, but I have a you know a website where that I will ostensibly update someday um great i am a writer about town lost in new york <laughs> that's the vibe these days that well thank you so so much for coming on caroline thank you for and having me what a delight uh, come back in the future um oh. and talk about uh <laughs> just waving um but it's yeah awesome. oh what it, what's, it's it's okay. a keychain that says to lately i've been dressing for revenge my mom found it under my tv that's stand incredible Perfect. that's fantastic uh, I'm still holding on to your table, by the way, Caroline. So if you ever come back to LA, you can have your table. Oh my God. Excellent. We'll see. This was a productive call. Yeah. <laughs> it all worked out, guys. Um, thank you again for coming on and you'll come on in the future and it'll be great. Um, yes, thank please. you so, so much. All right. Sorry. Merry Christmas to all and to all Merry a good night. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.